Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. It's time for another Julie Halston fix. The actress, comedian, (laughs) holds a special place in the Conversations with Creative Women universe. Julie was our very first guest when the podcast premiered in May of 2013. This marks her fourth appearance, and for good reason. She's funny, she's real, she's certainly creative, and she's got a lot going on. For the uninitiated, Julie's Broadway credits include the revival of You Can't Take It With You, for which she won the Actors' Equity Richard Seff Award, Drama Desk, and Outer Critics. Circle nominations. On the Town, Anything Goes, Hairspray, Gypsy, On the 20th Century, for which she received another Outer Critics Circle nomination. She was also part of the cast of the Lincoln Center production of The Babylon Line and the McCarter Theater and Hartford Stage productions of Murder on the Orient Express. Julie's also a founding member of Charles Bush's legendary company, Theater in Limbo, and has been his co star in a slew of productions. Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, Red Scare on Sunset, and The Divine Sister to Dame Just Three. Julie's had roles in a variety of TV series and is probably best known as Bitsy Von Muffling in Sex in the City and Tina Carmelo from The Class. Her latest role... Rita Mallory, the tough producer in the Broadway production of Tootsie, the musical comedy based on the classic 1982 film starring Dustin Hoffman. Let's pick up where we left off. Julie, it's great to have you back. Hello. I'm <laughs> glad to be back. And I'm, I'm congratulations, 2013, that's when this started? Oh, I thought you were going to congratulate yourself for no, all no, the great no. stuff you No, no, no. Congratulations to you. Also, just so that your, your listeners know, Rita Mallory has been changed to Rita Marshall. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, yes. No, it was Rita Mallory. Okay. And now it's Rita Marshall. Because, you know, we're constantly changing and updating. But it is, in fact, Rita Marshall. Does that mean anything? I mean, is there a significance? I think it's a better name, Rita Marshall. Actually, I think Rita Mallory sounds hard to say together. It does. So I think they changed Well, thanks. I I stand corrected. But congratulations on this podcast. It's so fantastic. And you've had so many amazing women on. And, you know, and there's so many amazing more to meet. I can't leave these mortal calls. Well, we make up 50% of the population. More, more. I think now fifty one. Well, maybe we're up there. You know, I think so <laughs> at this rate. All right, at this rate. <laughs> so let's do Tootsie now, and maybe work our way backwards. Or it's just all kind of free flowing. Okay. When you were cast for your role, did you sort of feel like you died and went to heaven? I did. I actually um, tell us about how all that happened. Before the uninitiated, what is that like? Well, it was a little different for me than maybe the usual process. You know, a lot of times people audition and whatnot. Now, you know, because I'm, you know, been around uh, a while. Yeah, been around and a you while. Have I street didn't cred. really audition. So Scott Ellis, uh, one of my favorite directors in the whole world, and we had worked together on "You Can't Take It With You," and he is just. Oh, just he's just a smart, efficient, great, creative, kind guy mm-hmm. to work with. And uh, he called me up. I think he was in L.A. or London. How long ago? Um, Not that long ago. You know, maybe not even a year ago. Maybe. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I mean, I would, you pretty wonder recent. I, how they had long done this a has been in the works okay. of Tootsie. They oh. had done like three or four workshops of it. I didn't even know about it. It was like the CIA. It was all very secret. Uh Uh, But our star, Santino Fontana, he was always going to be playing Tootsie. I was not part of this process. But I think they were having trouble defining this character, Rita Marshall, the producer. And Robert Horn, the brilliant book writer, was just, I guess, not happy with who they had chosen originally. Uh Uh, And I don't know who those people were. Scott called me up uh, 
from, I, I think it was L.A., and he said, Hey, Halston, it's Scott. Um, I don't know what this character is. I, we're working on her. We don't know who she is yet. You were aware that Tootsie was going to be a Broadway musical. Were um, you not before I, you got the phone I, call? I basically knew nothing, believe it or not. Because oh, you, you wonder if there's that buzz, you know, around and that you, you yeah. might have heard through the grapevine. But there was a lot of secrecy about it. So I really didn't know much about it. I was sitting on my couch, you know, binge watching something and <laughs> being a little glum, I think. Um, and then Scott called and said, hey, I, uh, what are you doing? You know, I don't know, three weeks from now uh -huh. or whatever. I don't know the time frame. And he said, I don't know what this character is, but we're sort of now hearing your voice, you know. It may have two lines. It may have 200 lines. Uh -huh. she, she, she may be caught. We, we don't know what she's going to be. Would you consider coming in and just sort of working mm -hmm. with this workshop? And, and I said, Scott, for you, I'll do anything. You know, if it's two lines, it's two lines. And, you know, you can get me a cup of tea. <laughs> uh and all that's my weekend, you know, whatever. Right. So Reg Rogers, who's also in the piece and plays the Dabney Coleman role of the rather asinine director, <laughs> uh, he was also called at the same time that I was called. And we didn't. We went into this workshop very blind. We didn't know what this was. And we, you didn't know where they were so to speak, in going the, with this. Right, we uh -huh. had no idea where they were going There was not buzz, advance, kind of, guess what, they're thinking of bringing to Well, there might have been buzz, but we, we were loud of the loop. <laughs> yeah, I, okay. I was, you know, I, I was, want to just ask you before you continue, yeah. is that an unusual thing that Scott Ellis called you? What about, you know, going through your manager and your agent? Is that unusual that you got the call directly? No, my manager and my agent's were aware that he was going to call me. Oh, so that's he spoke the to them process. first. Yes. Okay, I didn't know how that worked necessarily. Yes, yes. Okay. yeah, that's the first process. Mm -hmm. Now, Scott and I are friends. We've known each other for decades, so it wasn't an, it wasn't a hard, you know, problem mm -hmm. to solve. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it was all very, you know, loosey-goosey. We didn't know what was going to happen. We walked in and, you know, I'm always intimidated at a musical because, you know, I, I'm not a singer-dancer. <laughs> and yet I You've been in a bunch, in a lot of musicals. Yeah. I've, I think I've done more musicals on Broadway than Gwen Verdon. That's what somebody <laughs> said to me, which I think is a, basically a, a tragedy. Um, it's come to that. It's right? come to that. But we walked in and, you know, I mean, here are all these, you know, amazing talents. They're singing and they're doing and, and we're kind of going, uh, you know. We get the script, but it clicked. Mm -hmm. You know, when something's right, it's right. Mm -hmm. And Reg and I clicked as the sort of adversaries and the rhythms that Rita Marshall brings to the it's show. It's like you know when you know. You huh? know when you know. And Robert Horn, the incredible book writer, I could tell he was really happy. And after the whole day... They kind of pulled us aside and they said, you're going to do this, right? You, you, you want to do this, right? Mm -hmm. And you're saying this is about a year ago. Yeah, I can't uh -huh. remember. Yeah, at least at least at least not eight or nine months ago. It might mm -hmm. have been a year ago and maybe less. But still, it what, was a while ago. Did they still have more roles to cast after you two? Uh, that's a good question. Yes, I think they did. The, the role of the agent mm -hmm. was still. How big is the cast? I mean, ballpark. 20. 
that seems to be a new thing on Broadway too. I mean, he's he's plays with these bigger casts. It's big. Yeah, it's big. Uh-huh. And well, when you have David Rockwell doing your sets, because he does big, big sets. I mean, this is a big musical. You know, you're going to get your money's worth. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, sets are flying in, things are coming down, things are on rollers. Where does this fit into your history with the theater? Believe so it or not, far? I think this is the role that really most suits me. That really captures who you the are. sort of yep. Julie mm-hmm. Halston mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm even allowed to sort of talk like I grew up, which is on a <laughs> Long Island uh, level. Uh-huh. Uh So it's not like I have to like pretend that I'm educated. <laughs> but but this... no, you know what I mean. She's a she's a fantastic character. She's a very rich producer who's been married a number of times. She's very opinionated, but in a, in a sense, it's. I mean, quite frankly, Rita Marshall is, the, in a sense, most like me, but also it's who I aspire to. Uh-huh. But the thing that was so great was that once this happened, I actually walked home that day from 34th Street to 55th Street, and I got very teary because I knew. I really felt like I wanted to be with this A-team, that this play was going to be amazing, and that... I was going to have this fantastic job, you know. And I loved the producers and the writers and everyone on the team was amazing. Where does that fit kind of in the lexicon, this getting older and wondering where your career is going to go? Although at this point uh, in my life, I think I'm just happy they didn't go, she died, didn't she? (laughs) Didn't Julie Halston die? She's still around. Yeah, she's still... (laughs) But also, uh, given that uh, I've had some very big challenges over the last couple of years mm-hmm. with um, my husband, I'm just very grateful. And also, you do get to a point when you're older, I think, where you go, you know, I don't have time to waste with people that are unkind mm-hmm. or jerks or not good. I don't, I don't have time. For idiots, so and professional idiots and professional too, right? Idiots, I, like people, you know, you know I, I don't want to be in this. I don't want to be in this. Or, it's yeah. terrible, and uh-huh. they're jerks, and mm-hmm. or whatever. And you know, um, you do get to that point. We and and of course, look, everyone. You know, you always want to be working. You want to have your financial security of and course. whatnot. But you do get a little more judgy, mm-hmm. and you just say, you know what, I want to be with creative, fantastic people who are really on their game, who are willing to really collaborate. Because theater is collaborative. Of course. And if it's not, run to the hills. Yeah. And I could see that this was going to be that situation. Mm -hmm. So I was just thrilled. We went to Chicago and uh, we as an out-of-town tryout, and I had never done that before with a brand-new, big, Broadway-bound musical with everyone at the top of their game. And so it was very exciting. And Chicago is an amazing city. I, I do like Chicago. And um, and you were well-received, weren't you? Very well-received. Not just me personally, uh, no, but no, I mean, I, the, the show cast, was very yes, well-received. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, and of course we left right before the winter. Yeah, thank God. Yes, right? yeah. Chicago winters apparently are quite brutal. Yeah, it's really been a um, qu- quite a year. As you look back over your career, you can say, I guess, 
You had a great run, Julie? I can. But what makes me a little anxious and sad and angry sometimes is a lot of women, particularly of a certain age, and it seems to be getting younger, they do drop off that cliff, you know? It's like, well, you know, she's 48. Who needs her, kind of? Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. or, you know, she's 58. Forget it. Uh-huh. I'll get the 48-year-old. Do you know what I mean? I do. To play the 60-year-old. <laughs> yeah, right. And you're like, oh, wait, what, what's happening? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that has been the way it has been in TV and film for a long time. And now I could see, I can see it's kind of creeping into theater, too. So it's a little nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm addicted to the British murder mysteries, Midsummer Murders and Vera. I've turned into my mother, basically. It's very sad. Um, but all those performers and actors, they are allowed to age. They are allowed to be unkempt. And we they're, can grow old with them, can't yes, we? Yes, and we can grow old with them. And, they, and we're, they're allowed to be very authentic. Mm-hmm. It is mind-boggling to me that we're still... On American television, obviously, there is quite an audience for it, but, like, mind-boggling to me that, you know, the nuclear physicist is a 20-year-old woman Mm -hmm. with Botox Mm -hmm. and high heels. Yeah, right, right. But she's also carrying a gun (laughs) and is going to, you know, also apprehend someone. You've got to be kidding. Yeah. I just find it so laughable and I can't believe other people don't either. Oh, and, and also she's wearing uh, spangly earrings and a very low-cut outfit under her clinician, you know. <laughs> right, right. And it's, it's like, really? But you can also say, can't you look at that and say, well, the hell with that. You know, that my bread and butter is not coming from Absolutely. a small screen. And, you, and I'm guessing, again, putting words in your mouth, that you got over that already. I did. You can still... You know, react to that, but you know, you've kind of left that by the wayside. Oh, I, right? I think I left it at thirty. <laughs> thirty. <laughs> you know, that leads me to something that I always meant to ask you about. You know, I've interviewed, as you've said, many actresses and and producers involved in the theatrical world, and every time I mention their name to you or your name to them. Oh, I love her. Um, Or they'll say, oh, Julie, of course. Or you'll say, Lauren Molina in Desperate Measures, what a doll. I'm stunned by that because I was under the impression that the theater world in New York was not a small world. You know, the New York, this is where it's all happening. Explain to me why you all know each other. It is a small world. Now, remember a few things. First of all, it's a very generous community. We do a lot of benefits. Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, by the way, which, of course, started decades ago, but that is a big bonder. We've all done them because we do two huge benefits every year, Gypsy of the Year and um, Easter Bonnet, and all of the, the community is a part of that. So even if you've never been on stage with someone in a show... Mm-hmm. Chances are you've done benefits, fundraisers, you know, uh, Broadway flea market, raising money for God's love we deliver, things like that. That's a big bonder. Okay. With the community. So that's number one. All right. Number two, producers do tend, once they start working with people that they like, producers and directors or whatever, do tend to 
they do look for new talent, but there's also a sameness. You know, you'll see a lot of the same names. All right. You know, for maybe uh, not in the big roles. I mean, yeah, supporting more and supporting. Okay. Or even with the stars. So that becomes so you start seeing the same people a lot. Mm -hmm. Always with the idea that they're looking for new talent. It's a finite block situation. Mm -hmm. I think it's 12 blocks. That's what Broadway is. It's 12 blocks. Not a lot. So you tend to run into. It's literally a question of proximity. So you are going to start seeing a lot of the same people all the time. Plus, a lot of times when uh, you're in a show, you get to see other people's shows by doing by going uh, to the Actors Fund performances. It's a very, I don't know what the word is. Intimate? It's, it's an intimate kind of community. That's fostered, isn't it? You've, it's very fostered. In spite of the fact that you might be, quote, competing with me for a role. Very fostered. Or is that all just, you know, that Betty Davis, Joan Crawford stuff is nonsense. It falls away. It's it bullshit. It really falls right? away with the Broadway community. Um, You're there rooting for each other you, in we, a sense? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, to be realistic. Yeah, hello. I think there's a part of everyone that's like, oh, yeah, we always go up to for the same roles, you know. Well, you know, I wish I got it. Yeah, sure. But okay. Well, you wish you got it because you need to work. Yeah, you I need mean, to work. But I don't see the animus or the uh-huh, hatred uh-huh. or the, you know what I You're mean? You're really there supporting each They're other, huh? They're really, really in there. And again, it is fostered through that 12 block radius, uh-huh. through our charities, uh-huh. through the fact that, for example, the Actors Fund is very supportive. We have, you know, like the Phyllis Newman Women's Health Initiative. We have these fantastic umbrella organizations that are actually helping us with our health. And remember, it's a union. That camaraderie extends to off-Broadway. Yes. It's a little little more spread out. But yes, I think it does. Certainly, uh, the larger institutions... Mm -hmm. You know, like the theaters at Lincoln Center or the public theater or, you know, primary stages, you know. It's very, again, very collegial, very supportive. Did you always feel that? There was never that kind of, I just can't do this anymore or I, no one is supporting me or... Um... Yes, I mean, I, I, I certainly was frustrated for many years that I became sort of a downtown diva, but I couldn't. I couldn't get Break, into Broadway. Get, get up into those and 12 blocks. I was blocks. very, very frustrated by that. But I never took it out on the community. You know, I loved the community. Um, right, good point. And I actually tell students and that are sort of just trying to break in mm-hmm. and coming in from just graduating from school or whatever, volunteer. Do a lot of volunteer. Volunteer at Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. See how this community works. Volunteer at the roundabout. Mm-hmm. At their galas or whatever. See how this, you know, expands. And once you really see, oh, my goodness, that was a great event, and I'm so glad I went. And now I I introduce myself to, you know, this casting agent or that casting agent. You know, it is a finite group. Right. So why not learn all the players? It helps to have social skills. It always amazes me when I meet actors who are shy. Huh. But there are many. There are many actors who are shy. They're not glad-handers. They're not social butterflies. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything. It, it just means they have, you know, 
But the Broadway community particularly is rather social. You know, I think it's very different in TV and film. Nobody, nobody's, you think the competition is much keener for keener, something like that? but also it's, you know, nobody's glad-handing on the Warner Brothers lot th- right. that I know And about. it's so much more vast, I guess, it's right? It's huge. Yeah. It's huge, yeah. you know, and L.A. is so super spread out and whatever. But even, even in that community, if you notice a lot of times projects, people tend to use a lot of the same people mm-hmm. and whatnot. But the Broadway community is particularly finite and smaller. It's like you said, which was very well put, it's fostered. This idea that we're all part of this community, let's all be be involved here. Talk to me about what it's like when you look back. You've had a great run, haven't you? I have. I mean, there's lots of different ways of looking at a career. Honestly, as I've gotten older, I actually am very proud. I was smart enough to get on the Charles Bush train uh, when God, he started were the brilliant. theater yeah. limbo, mm-hmm. and I was one of the founding members. I was a hesitant actress. I didn't really understand the process. It took you me a long know what you time were getting into? to Is that what you mean? get into things, and it's gotten much worse these days. You know, I graduated from college with a degree in performance. My favorite thing is that one of the professors that I studied with, at the end of the year, they would bring the seniors in for a sort of special conference as to what to do with your career after you left school. And she said to me, and I'll never forget it, well, I think you have talent in something, but it's not acting. And then she died two years later. And I was like, well. (laughs) My curse worked. (laughs) Dare I say. Yeah, right. But anyway, I just wasn't savvy about how the business worked. So you didn't let her. No, I didn't let her, you know. uh, I I was haunted by it, I will say. Yeah. And then after she died, I was not haunted by it. (laughs) You know, then you went, yes. Yes. Um, Which was sad. But I didn't just, I just didn't know how it worked. I didn't know, like, well, you have to get a really good resume photo and you have to do this. And I was just sort of really naive. And I just also was, I have to say, I was a little immature. You know, nowadays, you know, these kids, they start out at like 12, you know. (laughs) They've got it all figured out. They come out of Carnegie Mellon or NYU or Yale, Yale. Mm-hmm. and they are like, well, I've already got an agent. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because the agents are already grabbing them at very early age. It was very different in the 1980s. So I wasn't savvy that way. But yet, I wasn't even driven the way I see the way actors are driven. To this day, I'm ambitious but there's not a tenacity. Is that what you're saying? There's a tenacity, but I wasn't... Obsessed? I wasn't obsessed. I really wasn't. People would be like, well, you know, I've got three auditions today. And I, and I would be like, I'm kind of tired. I think I'll do one. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I just wasn't that way, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I would see these actors, and I can tell you, a number of them became wildly successful, but they really worked it. They worked the system. They worked those auditions. They would go on those things. They knew how to dress. 
they just they just knew so how to you do doing it. this by the seat of your pants? Is I that what was you... really doing this by the seat of my pants, and I wasn't very talented. I didn't find my voice. Okay, because you have to find out who you are. I was still trying to be like, you know, the sweet mom, or you know. So I go on these auditions. For like, I don't know, a commercial, Mrs. Cleaver. Mrs. Cleaver. And I would see someone who really looked like Mrs. Cleaver, number one. And she really had a very sweet voice. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't, that was not who I was. So I couldn't, I couldn't land. I just couldn't land. And it was finding your niche in a way, right? I couldn't find my niche. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think I was funny. I thought I was going to be a very big dramatic actress and Mm -hmm. do things like Hedda Gabler. What in God's name was I thinking? I studied at the Terry Schreiber studio. Because I wanted to take acting lessons outside of, you know, college. And Terry Schreiber was the one who said, Julie, I think you could do drama just beautifully. You're really funny. You should look into funny. And this was news to you, huh? It was news to me. I find that stunning. I know. it was. No, it wasn't that I didn't think I was funny. I didn't think I was funny theatrically. I knew I was funny. You could be, you could entertain your friends. I could entertain and, yeah, my yeah. friends. Mm-hmm. I was very funny yeah. at, you mm-hmm. know, the cafe or the bar. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to take that into the theater. So he was the one who said, you're really funny. And when you write your own material, because like I would come in sometimes and I would say like, I have a monologue that I'd like to try out. I sort of write. He said, you're really good. You should do this. And it really boggled my mind, but it, change the way I thought. Mm-hmm. It changed the lens a little. And that's when I started thinking of comedy seriously. And I did actually like start studying comedians and and whatnot. And but when it really took flight was when I met Charles Bush. And he saw it too, you know. Uh, not immediately. For the uninitiated, give a line or two about who he is. Oh, Charles Bush is an incredible, uh, can we say, gender illusionist um, <laughs> who wrote a play a long time ago in the ni- early 1980s called Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, and it became an enormous off-Broadway hit. Ran Fabulous. Ran six years. Fabulous. At the um, Provincetown Playhouse on McDougal Street in New York City. And it became not only a, a, a mainstream hit, but it was also sort of a gay mecca for uh, gay men and women. Mm-hmm. And um, it was also when the AIDS crisis was really taking hold yeah. of this city. Yeah. So it also became a mecca for people to f- laugh and feel positive. We all lost a lot of friends in those years, and it was very dispiriting. So it was wonderful to be able to see these very funny shows. Mm-hmm that Charles and our company were, were producing. Our director was Ken Elliott, uh, and Charles was our star, and I was his co-star. And uh, and that's oh, where you found and your that's footing? that's where I found my voice. And it was really Charles who was like, Halston, you keep trying to be like, the normal person. Mm-hmm. You're not normal. <laughs> you, 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 you know, <laughs> you're a crazy lady. <laughs> and, and I'm going to write for you. And it was a natural act, huh? Yeah. My God. Wow. I mean, my head exploded. I mean, you know, when you have someone as talented as that writing for you, you'd be an idiot to say no. And I said, yes, thank God. And uh, we had a lot of fun. And a lot of those people are still really very important people in my life. And uh, 
we, I think when we first started the company, we had no idea. We had no money, and we were not doing this for money, you know. Uh, we were just trying to get out there, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, it was a wild time in the city. The city was really a mess. We had come out of bankruptcy, but it was still yeah, really and bad and uh, the theater district was you know just so you know slimy, slimy and, and, and all we, this porn crap everywhere, and, and we were doing things downtown, up. which was basically a crack den. Yeah, yeah, and it was dangerous. Yes, it's very dangerous. When we would walk into the limbo lounge, which is where we were performing, it looked like a war zone. No joke. So. We were certainly not doing this for, you know, fame and fortune. We were doing this because we really believed that this guy, Charles Bush, was really onto something. And that we it was funny, funny, funny stuff and kind of subversive in its way, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was starting to be a lot of artists around us that were down there on the Lower East Side. We were all trying to make something happen. We were all very inspired by Charles Ludlam and the Ridiculous Theater Company, mm -hmm. Everett Quinton, who is very much still with us and is still a genius. Um, but it was a wild time, theatrically, very exciting. I was still working a full-time job. I worked a full-time job on Wall Street until 1987, until the stock market crashed. <laughs> I was down there. So I was working full-time during the day. Then I'd sort of sleep on a couch for like a half an hour, and then I would go to the Provincetown Playhouse and do Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, or we also did shows in rep sometimes. So like we would do a show at like 11.30 at midnight or something. It was it was crazy Crazy, time. yeah, for sure. Time. But how wonderful, to, but be how wonderful. to be part of, of a community like that and how that must have really formed and shaped you and to give you that incredible foundation to eventually go up to those 12 blocks. That's correct. And you know what? When you're 29 and you're doing this and into, you know, my early 30s, it did. I finally felt like we created something here. Yeah, you and sure once, did give birth. Once the, once the Broadway community and regular mm -hmm. real Found life you. sort of casting agents mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. producers and whatnot started coming down to those limbo lounge shows, we were like, oh... We're on to something. So it was very, very exciting. Well, clearly, aside from the group response to that, that's when it must have hit you, that you're on to something. Yes. And, you know, it's a eureka moment. It's those wonderful eureka moments. And I think when you read biographies, or I, I was just reading a wonderful article about Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and how at Northwestern, you know, she was part of a comedy group, mm -hmm. you know, and she said, like, her head exploded, you know, like, she was like, okay, this is it. I get it. I get it. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. I think the tragedy that I find for so many people, creative people, two things. One, they never quite have that eureka moment or they don't take advantage of it huh. or they don't have the access to take advantage of it. But I remember my boss on Wall Street said to me one time, people who want to do something very, very badly, even when all doors are closed, they're going to kick that door down at some point. Mm -hmm. it, it, and he said, I don't care if it's a woman, uh, that, you know, but it takes that kind of 
tenacity, yeah. that kind of strength. Now, what he also said is it's it would be so much easier if we could just open the door so yeah. nobody has to be kicking doors down. Mm-hmm. And that's what access is all about. You know, there's so many people who don't have access to things. And the other problem with not having access is that I think it kills, it's soul crushing and it kills dreams and spirit. And that's when you go, I know I have this, but I've been put down for so long. I I can't figure out how to do it. And I've seen that, and it it makes me very sad. And that's why I'm I I, I like the idea of really helping other people. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm always up for you you're know, willing to share. I like and the you're sharing. not threatened yeah, I, or whatever and all that. Yes, yeah. I know what that is to really kind of sit there and go. I don't know how this door works, mm-hmm. but I was lucky. I had that eureka moment, but I also had access. Now we didn't have access to fame and fortune or anything like that. But I had access to talent. I spotted it. I said, Charles Bush is talented. He's making me laugh. I don't know. This guy is wacky. Mm-hmm. I like what he's doing. And it's a receptivity that you had. Yes. You were open to that. I was open to yes. it. Maybe because at that point, I was divorced mm-hmm. from my first husband. Uh, I was sort of open to anything at that point. <laughs> right. It's like, you know. I'm game. <laughs> I'm game because, yeah, I'm sitting here by myself. So maybe that's why. Whatever. It didn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't have to be analyzed. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was. Mm-hmm. And it also shows, though, like once the applause start, I found myself just flourishing. Mm-hmm. You know, I it respond you. to applause. Mm-hmm. Some people, they don't need it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, to be quite honest. I'll never forget, I was reading, oh, this is so pretentious to me. I was reading Ingmar Bergman's book, The Magic Lantern. <laughs> now, that's a reference that you're not going to hear very often. Uh, I'll drink to that. Okay, why is Julie Holson talking about Ingmar Bergman? It's terrifying. Well, she's just so versatile. She's so versatile. And eclectic. Yes, yes. But anyway, the, the great Swedish director right, right. said some. somebody was asking him about his um, success as a, a filmmaker and he said, well, I have friends who probably are, you know, better painters than other painters I know, better filmmakers than people I know. But they're not interested in sort of doing it, like, publicly. They do it for themselves or they, do you know what I mean? And and there there is that. I do respond to applause. I do respond to an audience. I do, you know, and it really helped me say, oh, you know what? I like this feeling. I'm going to figure out how to do this career and I'm going to figure out how to be better at it. It gave me a big jolt. It helped me get disciplined. I joined a gym. I started realizing, oh, I need stamina. You know, to do eight shows a week takes a lot of stamina. I got into shape. I lost some weight. I got rigor. Mm-hmm. I got some rigor in my life. Mm-hmm. And and that was important. And uh, But it was also the response. I thought, I get it. I see that this can work. I've had friends that I've worked with in the past, and I've had friends from college, for example, or whatever, very skilled, amazing performers. They just didn't need it. I think I needed it more than other people. Mm-hmm. 
you were destined to do this. This is what you were supposed to do. I really was, I think. You know, we're running out of time, but I want you to leave us with just a thought about you and your career. Well, tenacity has been a a big watchword with me. Along with talent. Along with talent. I do think... I do think I never gave myself credit for being kind of smart. And now I realize I was kind of smart. I was much more observant than I gave myself credit for. Uh, And I was much more of a doer than I ever gave myself credit for. I was smarter than I thought. That's what I would say. I I was smarter than I thought. I, I get that. I get that. And how great that you can acknowledge it and know it. Yeah. Yeah. Julie. Thank you. Will you come back again? Of course. I love this show. We wish you just millions of performances in Tootsie. I can't wait to see it. I I've, can't wait to do it. It's it, so good. How great that that's what's on your plate now. It's fantastic. Thanks, Julie, for Thank coming. Thank you. Thank you, honey. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. <laughs>